This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Thank you all for coming tonight. I'm so excited about uh, what we have to speak about. I'm so excited to come before you once again. So tonight we're going to break down 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 through 6. We're going to break it into three parts. I'm going to start with verses 3 through 4. Uh, Luke is going to continue with verse 5 and then Heston's going to wrap it up with verse 6. So let's start by reading my portion of the scripture. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 through 4. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. I'm going to give three traits of soldiers that I deem necessary in the constant spiritual war that is our life as Christians. One being unbending determination, the second being endless strength, and the third being single focus tunnel vision. My first point, unbending determination. Right off the bat, I'm going to switch from soldier to what I think is a more um, vivid adjective, warrior. I want to tell you the story of a fledgling king who, despite being the last free Saxon ruler, led his brothers to victory over their overlords, the pagan Danes. In AD 878, King Alfred stood at Ethendun, or Eddington, as it was known in the Saxon tongue. Surrounded by Danes, the Saxons had no choice but to dig in and form a shield wall. No matter how many times the Danes crashed against them, or the arrows and the spears and the stones that they throw, killed or maimed, every time a Saxon fell, another shouldered his shield and braced for impact. After hours, the Danes tired and Alfred charged, leading his tired army to victory and decimating the mighty Danish hordes. Their unbreakable determination led to the eventual defeat of their sworn enemies. Just like Alfred, we face a seemingly undefeatable foe. No matter what is thrown at us, we must dig in and hold our ground and hold the shield wall, reaching down and pulling up our fellow warriors who fell. My second point, endless strength. This ties in very closely with my first trait. One of the most important things for a soldier is knowing that he is physically capable and he's in physical shape to fight the battles that he is tasked to fight. So when battles continue for hours and hours, his sword could remain quick and agile. When he wasn't fighting or tending his crops and his family, he was training. He knew that his children, his wife, even his life depended on the fact that he could fight battles that lasted hours upon hours on end. If he decided to return home, he had to be physically ready to fight those seemingly endless battles. Just like the warriors of yore, if we don't train and ready ourselves for our spiritual battles, we will quickly become another proverbial corpse on the battlefield. We must daily immerse ourselves in God's word because our spiritual lives depend on it. Not engrossing yourselves 
or ourselves in the living word would be like me picking up a sword and expecting to challenge a Roman phalanx back in the day. It just doesn't make logical sense. For my third and final point, we must have single focus tunnel vision. This is probably the most important of the three traits I've put in front of you today. And I'm going to illustrate this with an all too recent example from my own life. So as some of you know, I spent Monday and today butchering an obscene amount of chickens over at the Hosses. And so I, was, I got home after cutting up probably 160, 170 birds, and I just wanted to rest. I, I was tired, and so I just come in, I slam my car door, I walk into the house, and it wasn't until I come back out to retrieve something from my car that I realized for the thousandth time I had locked my keys in the car. And so I was like, no big deal. I'll get the spare key that I always hide underneath my uh, driver's side. And then I realized that I had not rehidden it as dad had so wisely told me to. And so I just, I just lost it. And I, I, I threw like a grade A temper tantrum. I come in the house, I'm like throwing papers, I'm throwing cups or whatnot. And in that time of weakness, I damaged my relationship with Stephen, I blew up at Daniel, I yelled at both of them, and I realized that I was just like losing focus. And so I decided I needed to take a step back, I needed to pray, and that's what I did. And I prayed, I was like, God, just show me where this extra key is, because I, I'm just losing it here. And so... And so I did that, and I came to my drawer where I keep my, my wallet, my stuff, all my essentials. And I was like, well, I'll tear it apart for a second time. Maybe I'll find something. And I was ripping through it. There lies the third key that I had forgot even existed. And so, like it says in 2 Timothy, no soldier in active service entangles himself with the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one enlisted him as a soldier. I had become bogged down and distracted with the everyday aspects of being human, that I was no longer a pleasing and good soldier for Christ Jesus. I had lost my focus. And like Kalen said in his prayer, we can't let ourselves become distracted with the wind and the waves that this world tosses our way. Instead, we need to be Come, we need to turn on our laser focus for our goal. And that is a deep and intimate relationship with God. Now, I gave you three aspects tonight. One being unbending determination. One being endless strength. And the last being single focus tunnel vision. That these are essential for us as Christians in our Christian walk. And this Christian life is a never-ending bloodbath. Just accept that. It's in the job description. But when the arrows in the sky blot out the sun, and when the walls we have to scale seem unscalable, and when we are 300 against a million, is when the light shines through the arrows, when God digs us footholds in the wall, and when we stand upon a field of a million conquered foes. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to turn it over to you. Good evening, everybody. I'm glad y'all can make it out. 
So we're going to look at um, 2 Timothy 2, verse 5, and discuss how to be a grateful athlete for God. And we're going to start off tonight by looking at a short story. So say you have the chance to enter into the Olympics. You have been practicing your sport for a really long time. You've gotten really good at it. You have a bunch of time, a bunch of energy, and a bunch of money invested into it. And you feel pretty confident that you can win. And, but then you remember that there's another contestant who has had a better trainer than you. He's been practicing longer. He's been in more competitions. And you think that he might win. You know a way that you can come up with a cheap shot and you can gain a little bit of extra ground on them and potentially win. So the day of the contest comes and you do your cheap shot. The judges see it and you are called out and immediately eliminated. Because you decided to cheat and take a cheap shot, you were immediately eliminated and no longer able to participate. 2 Timothy 2.5 says that if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. He blew his chance because he thought his way was best. 2 Timothy 2.5 states that this is not acceptable. Not only is it unfair to him to cheat, but it is also unfair to the other athletes who spent much of their time and are trying to compete for the same prize. So we're going to look at three ways that you can be a grateful athlete and win. So first, you need to learn how to soak in the moment and enjoy what you're doing. Second thing is, you need to be teachable and learn to work together as a team. And the third thing is, you need to have unconditional joy. So on to my first point. First, you must soak in the moment and enjoy what you're doing. God gave us the chance to compete, so we could we can compete, we can compare this to running, a race, running the race that Paul talks about in Hebrews. We are created in God's image, otherwise we would not be able to compete. James 1.17 says that every good thing comes from God. It is God's strength, not our own, that enables us to compete. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of, it, is a lot, it is really hard to compete. It takes a lot of your time, a lot of your effort, a lot of your money. But without God, it doesn't matter how much time, money, or effort you spend. You will never succeed. God is, the re God is the reason that you are able to compete. Since he created us in his image, it is important that we follow the rules and guidelines. The second thing is, you need to be coachable and work together as a team. This is a must-have for, for, must for any sport. Everybody may have their own ideas about how to win. But the only way that you're going to win is if you all work together and play by the rules. So you have two football teams. The first football team has a coach. All the team members are working together for one common goal. And they all communicate well with each other. The second team does not have a coach. They don't communicate and they're all playing as individuals. Which team do you think is most likely to win? I think it would be the first team who has the coach, they communicate well, and they all have the same goal. God is essentially our life coach. And when we've all worked together, we are essentially acting as God's team. So then we can go out and, we can go out and defeat the enemy. And our rule book that God gave us is the Bible. The third thing you need to have is unconditional joy. Grateful athletes should be happy whether they win or lose. 
as Christians, we should be happy when we, are, when we win a battle against, against evil and try harder when we stumble and learn from our mistakes. True joy comes with having a great relationship with God. It is not found in winning a game or getting a trophy. True, it does feel great to win and get a trophy, but that is not the main reason we should compete. True joy comes from God, not from winning. If you cheat and win, then the joy you're feeling is not real joy, it's fake joy, because you feel a sense of guilt because you cheated and took away somebody, took away a prize that should have been somebody else's. There are no shortcuts in our walk with God. We can't cheat God. We only cheat ourselves. So, to sum all this up, to be, in order to be a grateful athlete, you must play by the rules, learn to soak in the moment, and enjoy what you're doing. Be coachable and work together as a team. And have, a, and have an unconditional love and unconditional joy. God created you to be great, so be great. Run the race that he has set for us. Thank you all for your time, and now I will turn it over to Heston. Lastly, Paul compares the Christian race to that of a farmer. Just like an athlete, having a bountiful harvest doesn't happen by chance. We can't expect a bountiful harvest unless we plant, water, and work. In other words, farming is a big commitment with much work to do, which is why Jesus said to count the cost. We have to decide whether every day whether we are going to wake up, sow the seed and spread the gospel, or be selfish and chase after our own desires. I have a fish tank, and when you set it up, you can't abandon it or leave it, or else algae will grow, the chemicals will get unbalanced, and the fish will get sick. That is why you must be diligent in keeping it clean, putting the proper chemicals in, and checking on it constantly. The same thing applies to farming. When one plants crops, you can't leave it. You can't work on it when it's convenient or when the weather's absolutely perfect. You have to devote your, your life to it because you're protecting it from drought, hell, wind, and pests. Jesus said the words, the harvest could be astronomical, but unfortunately the laborers are few. Why are there few workers? Because farming is a lot of hard work. I heard a farmer once say that he had a team of horses in which one horse worked consistently harder than all the other horses. He said, they're all willing horses, one's willing to pull and the rest are willing to let him. Sadly, that's often the description of the local church. In fact, elders often refer to the 80-20 rule, which states that 20% of the church members do 80% of the work. But God never intended it to be that way. He intended that all whom he saved should serve his cause in some capacity. Just like fish tanks and farming, when you start up a church, you have to devote your life and time to it. You can't work, you can't just say, hey, I don't want to work on it, I don't feel like it, or I'm going through something hard, I don't want to do that. You have to set your mind straight and do the work. But my point is, God wants us to have a bountiful harvest, but he expects us to do the work. He expects us to plant the seed, to water, and to protect. I'm reminded of this when Jesus went to the wedding and they ran out of wine and they asked him to, to perform a miracle to produce wine. He said, first, go fill the water buckets full of water. In so many miracles that Jesus performed, he had the person demonstrate their faith by works. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, 
Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. God promises that us that our labor will not be in vain. If we meet God halfway, he will do the rest. If we plant the seed, he will turn that seed into a delicious fruit to bring us nourishment. This work at Highway 71 Church of Christ will never grow unless each person in the assembly is participant in the work. We all want to come to an assembly full of saints with dynamic singing and preaching, so let's get to work. I had to get my braces put on today, and it put me by surprise because I didn't know that I was going to do it. I thought I was going to be getting a cleaning. Psych, we're doing braces. But that's where the battle comes in. God, Satan, Satan does not want us to, to sow the seed. He wants us to, he wants to put every excuse out there to not let us do it. But I could have said, my mouth hurts. The braces are uncomfortable. I don't want to go speak tonight. But that's what Satan wants. God wants us to sow the seed. And that's what we're all here doing. All of you that are coming here to support me, Joseph, and Luke, you guys are being participant in the assembly. So, this analogy of being a farmer applies to anything. Do you want to end your depression? Do you feel hopeless in your marriage, career, or parenting? Are you discouraged in your Christian walk? Have you lost your zeal? Well, God says, get up and do the work and watch the blessings that he will shower you with. 2 Timothy 2.7 says, Consider what I say, and the Lord will give thee understanding in all things. Paul tells Timothy to wonder and examine the characteristics of a soldier, athlete, and farmer and to apply them into his life. In return, he would have an everlasting, sorry, he would have an intellect that would bring everlasting success. So let us remember that we are soldiers at war and to always be fully aware that Satan has come down with great wrath in order to damn our souls for eternity. Let us remember that we are athletes training in the word of God. And let us administer self-control so that we can, so that our bodies can be a glory to God. And let us remove all this excess weight so that we can run in liberty. Let us remember that we are farmers, laborers for the kingdom of God. So that we might see the glorious harvest that our Lord and Savior can produce right before our eyes and for generations to come. So I hope we can all take these three characteristics that... Paul, of a good Christian that Paul displayed for Timothy and apply them into our own lives for the greater good of God's kingdom. Thank you for your kind attention. If you would like to be baptized or need the prayers of the church, come up as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.